0: Please be seated. I want to especially welcome all you visitors with us. It's great to have you here. We're blessed by your presence. I hope that you have been made to feel at home. A lot of you, family members from out of town, coming to visit. It's great to have you all here on this Easter Sunday morning. It's Resurrection Sunday every week. That's the basis for our being able to come into God's presence. But it is a special time on the church calendar when we just focus today on remembering Jesus' being raised from the dead. And so I want to this morning have a couple... Uh, well, first I'm going to read the passage, the fact of the resurrection, from one of the four gospel accounts. There are four pretty, pretty vivid accounts. When you put them together, you get the full picture of Jesus' actual uh, rising from the dead. And then the bulk of the time, however, I want us to spend considering what are the benefits of this resurrection for us. What does this mean? Um, we are generally... Uh, joyful when we think of Jesus defeating death, and that's the right thing. But we could get even deeper in this, and that's what we want to do, is look at at least uh, three ways in which Jesus' resurrection benefits us. And I think you will be blessed when you dig into some of this. So I will read the passage that is written on the insert before you, and then I will ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15 for the rest of the time. I want us to hear the, the word of God in this account Uh, recognizing what this accomplishes for us will be our goal as we walk through uh, this sermon this morning. Keep in mind, uh, as the background for Matthew 28, Jesus was a public figure, well enough known in Jerusalem. Uh, Certainly, all the high-ranking officials knew who he was. The Roman officials came to know who he was. The populace knew who Jesus was. Word of his many miracles and his teaching, They were widespread at this point. He was tried very publicly, crucified very publicly. He was placed in a registered tomb, one owned by a known man of influence. Nothing was hidden about this. This was all out there for everybody to see, more so than just about anybody else who would have died. The tomb was also then sealed by Roman authorities with a stone that was immovable, apart from multiple people having to move it, complete with a detachment of guards to watch over it. Here is the account from the Gospel of Matthew. This is God's inerrant and inspired word. Please hear as I read. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the, to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he has said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, there you will see him. See, I have told you so. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Much has been said about this. Robert Strimple wrote By raising Jesus from the dead and exalting him to his right hand, God the Father has declared that the penalty due your sins has been fully paid and the power of death forever broken. By the resurrection, God the Father added his Amen to the words of Christ on the cross It is finished. As the Apostle Paul rejoiced, our Savior, Christ Jesus, has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Please bow as I lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we gather on this Easter Sunday morning to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our ultimate problems of sin and death have been answered in the person and the work of Christ. And the resurrection guarantees our right standing with you, O Father, and we praise you for this. We now have... Life and hope fill us with your spirit as we consider the beautiful declarations of your word this morning. I pray this in christ 's name. Amen. As I mentioned, please turn to First Corinthians 15. in your pew Bible that's page 961 i 'll refer you to it a few times now i 'll try to read slow enough, which is difficult for me, but i 'll try to read slow enough for you to follow along, but it would be best to have First Corinthians 15 there. Matthew 28 gives us the fact of the resurrection. All four gospel accounts do similarly. 1 Corinthians gives us the reason for the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, um, what it means to us, the benefits of the resurrection, you might say. The issue for us, as you know all too well, sin and death are our enemies. Because of sin, there is death. Death has become part of the human experience because of sin. And there's only one way this could have been solved. God would have to send a substitute, a second Adam, to undo what happened in the first Adam, who we're all united to. By sending a substitute to be the second Adam, he would have to live, die, and be raised again in our stead, in our place. And then by faith in him, we're united to him and his work. And that's how we can know we're redeemed. That's how we can know we have newness of life. We must trust in the finished work of Christ. And the resurrection stands as the vindication of Christ's sacrifice. It's the the way the Father says, I accept the sacrifice. So he must rise again. If he doesn't rise again, we're still dead in our sins. There's no answer for our sins still. And we're lost. So this is why the resurrection is so pivotal. It's so foundational. In fact, Paul had no trouble whatsoever basing the foundation of Christianity on the raised Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and verse 4, Paul wrote, For I deliver to you as of first importance, notice the premium he puts on this, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Then later in the same chapter. And again, we'll refer back to chapter 15 a bit. Verse 14 And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. But Christ has been raised. And we know this by the sure testimony of the word. We know this because of the many witnesses who saw him after he rose again. We know this because of the changed lives of his followers. We know this because of the existence of his church that has gone on and perpetuated all these many centuries. The 19th century world-renowned historian and Oxford professor Dr. Thomas Arnold wrote famously and publicly, I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer that the resurrection of Jesus Christ took place. So very simply, we know it happened. We know it's real. We're gathered here believing that. What does it mean for us? Jesus' resurrection, very simply put, guarantees for us incredible, immediate, and eternal benefits. Earlier in the service, we read as our affirmation of faith, as we do um, every Easter, two different questions and answers from the Heidelberg Catechism, a great uh, confession written, almost 500 years ago, to help believers understand the content of what the Scripture taught. In the second question, number 45, I want to take our cue from there because they do a tremendous job. The writers of the catechism do a tremendous job of going through all the Scripture and then giving us the bottom line. And they note three different benefits that we gain through Christ's resurrection. Now, you'll see that one of them has to do with the past That is the resurrection itself in history. When it happened, several things were confirmed. So it's that past benefit. Then there is the present reality of the risen Christ who we are united to by faith that continues to give us newness of life and perspective. That's the present benefit of the raised Christ. And then thirdly, it's a promise to the future. What we can be guaranteed of because he has been raised from the dead. A past A present and a future benefit. And these three are captured in the answer that was given in question 45. Let's walk through this together. First, seeing that Jesus' resurrection was his overcoming death. And it was a confirming of God's acceptance of his sacrifice. And that means the forgiveness of our sins and the gaining of Christ's righteousness are ours. That was purchased for us and finalized when he was raised again. We need a substitute. We cannot earn salvation. Jesus was that substitute for us. And we need him to live, to die, and to be raised for us. That's what is needed. By his life, he confirmed that he is the righteous sacrifice. He meets God's standard in our stead as the second Adam. That's what his life proved. His death was the actual taking of the punishment we should have received upon himself in our place. In that sense, we're crucified with Christ. And so that our sins are paid for, we can know they're washed away. But it also does something else. It gives us Jesus' righteousness so we're fit for eternal life, starting from that moment. It's not enough to say our sins would be taken away. We need to live forever with God in paradise, the way it was supposed to be before the fall. So by receiving Christ's righteousness, now we're suited to live that eternal life starting from the moment he redeems us on into eternity. By his resurrection, all of this is confirmed. The best way to illustrate how the resurrection fits into the complex of what God did to save us through the work of Christ, it's sort of like this. If you have your, like, my iPad, if I'm going to download a, a, an app, every computer is different, but some will have a long bar, kind of the older versions will have a long bar that will tell you how much is loading and how fast it's loading. It's a hollow bar at first, but then a color will fill in and the bar moves up 20%, 40%, 60%, 80%. Then it hits 100%. And then some programs, at 100%, there's like this little delay, and then it says Complete. And you know it's, it's, it's there, it's finished, it's all there, it's complete on your, on your device at that point. The work of Christ on the cross, his suffering and his death, that's the bar loading, if you will. That's his payment for our sins, completing the payment of our sins. When he dies, when he gives up the ghost, when he says it is finished, at that moment the bar gets to 100% because our sins are paid for. But there's this pause, and then it flashes complete, that's the resurrection, That's how we know. If it doesn't flash complete, we don't know that the Father has accepted it. We're not sure if our sins are paid for. When he's raised again, then they're paid for. If he's not raised again, we don't have that assurance. We have no right to have that assurance because he's died and stayed dead just like any of us would, still under the penalty of sin. But God accepts Christ's perfect sacrifice and then raises him to prove this, and now we have as reality all those benefits of being in union with Christ, realized because of what has been purchased for us on the cross and confirmed by the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see how the resurrection is given as uh, the basis for our... In short form, it's given as the basis for our redemption. Now, we understand the resurrection comes with the complex of Christ's suffering, and it finalizes it, but notice what it says in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. In other words, he has to be raised for us to be out of our sins. This shows the connection between our justification and his resurrection. In fact, Paul says it explicitly in a different passage. Listen to what he says in Romans. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It's the short form of the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ for us, is his resurrection. It confirms God's acceptance of a sacrifice that means our forgiveness. First Peter says something similar, chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. See how Peter associates salvation or redemption with the resurrection of Christ. It's a necessary part of our redemption. Romans ten nine and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, what? That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe in the resurrection, then you understand what was preceding it and why he died and had to be raised again. So it's... It's kind of short form for the whole of trusting in Christ's finished work. That's the the message of the gospel. The good news is that we can trust in our substitute, trust in his finished work, as it was confirmed by his resurrection, to know we are right with God. That's the only way that we can be right with God, is through the merit of Christ, trusting in him and what he has done. Now, having seen that past accomplished benefit, let's look at what is present You'll see in the second point. By Jesus' resurrection, we gain something else. We have new life now. It happens now. And, And this, of course, lasts forever. So there is this present blessing that comes to being in union with Christ by faith. If you trust in the finished work of Christ, you're in union with Him. You are crucified with Christ, nevertheless you live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So now your life is new. It's totally new now. It's, it's the Holy Spirit has indwelt you and you don't see the world the same. That's the present benefit of the resurrection. New eyes. Now you see in a way that could not have been seen before. If you think about what people live like when they don't trust in Christ, maybe you remember this in your own life, they generally try to find meaning in all sorts of things. Usually it's activities. In our country, there's many things that can keep you busy. There are things you can get into that take up a lot of your time and they feel beneficial. Now, at moments, you might sit by and think about, man, I'm spending a ton of time building this business or uh, being part of this hobby or this friend group or whatever that you find yourself centering your life around, and you pause and you think, wow, what is this? I hope that I haven't spent all my time on something that doesn't have any significance. It, people live like this, and they really are busy, and they don't stop and think long about the meaning of it all. In fact, I was Driving home from one of my boys' soccer games yesterday, and as we do, we were listening to some music, and a song came on. He goes, oh, it's one of my favorite Beatles songs, he noticed, he said. It's Eleanor Rigby. You know that song? And we got to talking about why, because it's really an honest display of the meaninglessness of people's lives, the purposelessness. Even though they're busy, it's purposeless. Listen to the, the lines of this song, and you'll know what, what I mean. Eleanor Rigby picks up the rice in the church where a wedding has been, lives in a dream, waits at the window, wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who's it for? All the lonely people. Where do they all come from? All the lonely people. Where do they all belong? And this is the part that we get to chuckle out for me. Father Mackenzie, writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near. Now you laugh, so I know you're at least listening right now, so that's good. No one comes near. Looking at him work, look at him working darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care? So many songs express the true feelings of people. Good music, even when done by people who don't believe, will tell you the truth about their perspective. And it's meaningless. It's, I really don't know what the purpose is. I don't really get this thing. I don't really understand. what. In the beauty of the resurrection of Christ, when he raised again, he gave us his spirit, and so we, don't have, we know there's more to this. We, we can know in detail if we seek his word. This is what Paul means to say in Romans 6. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, the purpose of Christ for you is to walk in newness of life so you can actually see things as they really are. Um, You can know the truth about things. You can know why you were put here. You can know who put you here. You can know what else he made and the purpose for it. You can see what real love is in Jesus. You can express real love with each other because he teaches us how. He sends us spirit so we can experience it. Um, you can learn about the purpose for the things you've been gifted to do, the talents you have, how you should use them. Now, notice I'm not saying go do something totally different with your life, but you should see them with different eyes. Uh, being united to the resurrected Christ gives you a new view to everything, and now things have value in places they didn't before, and you know why you're doing what you do. Now, you might assess a few things and say, I shouldn't spend this much time in this area because it doesn't have the impact it could when thinking of what God would want from an eternal perspective. Now, in the book of Colossians, Paul speaks of this newness of life that's one of the benefits of the resurrection. In Colossians 3, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is. One of the, the traps of this life is we can get too busy, yes, I'm a believer, but then we're chasing after everything that decays. I mean we're going hard after, and boy, look at it all. But it's gone, I mean, so fast, so quickly. And our perspective is bound to the material stuff. It says in Colossians three, one, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things that are above, not in the things that are in the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It doesn't say be oblivious to what's on earth. It just means set your mind on those things that are above. In other words, what is the will of God for all of this Is revealed by his word? How then do I see the things on earth in view of that? All of what I'm talking about is something that comes as a gift from resurrected life, newness of life, being able to see things for the way they really are. This is exactly the language Paul uses in Ephesians even when we were dead in our trespasses. That's before we could see these things. He made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved. Now listen to what he says. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We as Christians have been seated with Christ, but we sit down in the basement too much. Recognize what great things he has for us, the church, to recognize and see about the world around us and what he calls. He wants us to tell all the Eleanor Rigby's there's purpose. It's found in Christ. This is the newness of life that is a great, great benefit to us. You know, one of the most sobering things I do on a regular basis that I don't always, I don't talk about too much because it sounds morbid, but now it's going to be out there. At least once a week, I walk to the cemetery next door. Saturdays are my favorite time to do it. It prepares me to think about the gravity of whatever I may be preaching the next day. Because it, whatever I preach on Sunday relates to what I see on Saturday. Um, if you can't get a full feeling for the reality that all of us go in the hole, then go we'll walk in the cemetery for a little bit and start doing this. You read the names and read the date spans. It's, it's humbling. For as great as, as, big as our lives may feel like they are, they are reduced to your name and some dates, basically, as far as what people remember. Very few of us will do anything that, that people remember much. That's, that's the reality of it. That's why we don't want to do it for ourselves. Think about the, the thing that God gives us in this newness of life, that if we do it for the greater glory of God, that will be the lasting benefit that outlasts our name and our date range. You know what I notice about the names and the date ranges? The names, people will put nicknames for their, uh, we did that even with my own father, a nickname that we knew him by on there. And it's it's very personalized, yet only a few people. And as the years go by, less and less people will know what that all means. But I know enough to see, even those who died a long time ago, and I see their gravestones, they have some, some nickname. This person was loved by people on this earth. And this person loved other people. And you know what else I noticed? The date range, it's never as long as you think it might be. And I don't want to freak you out, but 70 to 80 is about the norm that I see there. A whole lot more or less don't make it to 70. And then only a few over. All of them live short lives. Newness of life helps you see what that part of our, what our physical part of our life means in relation to eternity. Eternity. God's fitted you to live for eternity. This is just a small part of it. And we live this life seeking to bring others to know the risen Christ. And to live this life in a way that accentuates that and, and shows it in all the spheres that God's given you giftedness to be involved in. Go do it there, but show the light of Christ there because this is a short, short passage for everybody. Nobody will escape physical death. But in Christ, we live forever and we see that to be true uh, by what he displays in his life and in his resurrection it says in Romans 6 we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life we've seen a bit about what the resurrection accomplished in the past how it gives us new perspective and new lenses to see through new life now Let's look finally at what Christ's resurrection guarantees about our future. His resurrection is a picture of what our actual resurrection will look like. Uh, this is, we don't believe this to be some mythological thing that'll ha- that we, we talk about uh, at funerals. No, we really believe when we sow the body into the ground, when we bury the body or however the burial happens, that ultimately we're making a statement that believes that God will raise us from our state of physical death, and he'll unite our souls, which are always alive in Christ, back with our bodies to live in eternity in that glorified body like the one Christ had. Now, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. This is where I want you to kind of pay close attention to what the text says. Somewhere you can go back to later to study this more, because I, I'm amazed at how many Christians don't realize how much teaching really is provided for us in Scripture about the, the power or the benefits of the resurrection of Jesus, Look at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? He's compelling them to realize that, that this is not a position a Christian can have, the idea that there isn't a resurrection. And then in verse 20, skipping down a few verses of 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. So we have for us Jesus' bodily rising as a descriptor or a prototype for what our resurrection will look like by God's miraculous glory. Our bodies will undergo some change and be fitted to live for eternity. You think pre-fall, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, their bodies were able to They were able to live, we think, forever, except when sin came, their soul died, and then their bodies followed suit. We'll be suited with bodies that can last forever. It's hard for us to imagine eternity because we can't imagine the bodies we have. Even glorified, it's hard to imagine. But they'll be like the body that Jesus had in some fashion, looking basically like we look now, but but glorified and fit to live in eternity forever. Forever. Look down at verse 42 of 1 Corinthians 15. More rich, rich revelation for us. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-two and following. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is, in, is perishable. It's talking about the bodies placed in the earth or the tomb. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. That's the glorified body. It is sown in dishonor. It's sick and uh, broken state. It's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. See, these are all the guarantees of the resurrection for our future. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, and was the man of du- as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. He's making the parallel between the risen Christ and risen believers. What will happen for us ultimately? This is why the Apostles' Creed was careful to include at the end of the creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body. That's on purpose because it's a literal belief in the actual raising of our bodies. The Nicene Creed says we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life in the world to come. The Westminster Confession puts it beautifully. It describes it in more detail. At the last day, such as are found alive shall not die but be changed, and all the dead shall be raised up the self-same bodies, and none other, although with different qualities, it puts in brackets, which shall be united again to their souls forever. It goes on to say that the bodies of the unjust, those who are not in Christ, by the power of Christ will be raised to dishonor. Everybody gets a body that lives forever, some to honor, some to dishonor. The bodies of the just by his spirit unto honor and be made conformable to his own glorious body. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So we wait for a physical resurrection. This is that final benefit of Christ's resurrection that we look forward to. Jesus is called something that helps us appreciate what this exactly means. He is called The first fruits from the dead. Jesus as the first fruits from the dead. What does that mean? Well, when you think in farming terms, and I'm not much of a farmer, but I do grow six or eight tomato plants every year, and I know that's far less than some people do. Um, But I can tell you what happens. There are those first few tomatoes that come, and to me, they're the best-tasting ones because I've been waiting, waiting all winter for them, and the first ones come, and I don't put those into any salads or anything. I just eat them straight like an apple sometimes because they just taste so good. They're the first ones. Now, that's, that's the way you should eat a tomato is off the vine. I mean, I was driving down the road one time, and I saw a truck that belonged to a large retail store around that had green, greenish tomatoes. I almost wanted to liberate the tomatoes and jump on the back and then pull them. Be free. That's how the tomatoes you eat at the store, they they come to the store green and they get red over time. That's why they don't taste very good. But when you get them on the vine all the way to the time they're ready to pick and eat, that's when they're the best. And the first ones are the best. Then it takes like, it seems like a week or two sometimes for the rest of them to come in. And you're just waiting for the rest of them. That's it. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, the first one. Now we're waiting. He's gathering his people, over, and it's going by slow for us, but not for him, blink of an eye. And over time, he's gathering, and then finally, we'll be harvested. We'll be, he's the first fruits, and we'll be the rest that come. That's the picture that is given to us. I want to close by directing you to a different passage. Turn to page 926. This is Acts chapter 17. I want to close with this because I think it will capture everybody in the audience. So if you are a believer, this will give you greater encouragement about the power of the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection, what it means. If you are wondering, you're interested in this, this passage will speak to you as well because there are people in the audience that this passage addresses. that will be like you, or someone who doesn't believe. Maybe you're someone who just mocks it. I doubt if you'd be here if you were just mocking it. But there may be some of you who are just kind of got dragged here by someone else. You're thinking, ah, oh, this is this is just you know it's hooey. It doesn't it doesn't really mean. Well, you're gonna have to stop and think about this. If Jesus really raised again, you've got a lot lots to answer for on the basis because who else can say that? I mean, all the other t- great teachers and philosophers they're dead. Jesus is not, and that's that's the whole point. Now look at Acts seventeen, and we'll close with this short analysis. Acts 17, verse 22, it starts there with Paul. He's, he's on the Areopagus speaking to Greeks. Now, the Greeks were very rational in their minds, but they had lots of superstitions. I mean, they were on the one hand known for their, for their logic and their philosophy. On the other hand, they had temples about at every corner with, with, with tributes to various gods, and they were still a bit steeped in the Greek, uh, the Greek pantheon of gods, which the Romans just basically took over. And so there was a certain religiousness about them. And so Paul's playing off of this. It's true of America, too, right? People, very few people say, I'm an atheist, but they're spiritual, but they don't go to church, or they don't believe in particular things. Well, Paul's addressing that kind of mindset, which we can appreciate. And listen to the story unfold, and in particular, notice how the resurrection becomes a very important anchor to the whole of what Paul's saying. Paul's going to take them through biblical truth without necessarily citing chapter and verse in the Old Testament or from the other apostles. He's just going to teach them biblical truth using what they know and then he's going to anchor it into something they cannot deny or they're going to have to deal with. Hear what it says, starting at verse 22 of Acts 17. So Paul, standing in the middle of the Areopagus, he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown... I proclaim to you. See, he's starting to turn it now. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. See how he turns their worldview around and explain what it really is. for we are indeed his offspring. So he connects to some things they would say they agree with, but now he's giving them biblical truth, the actual truth about the world around them. Verse 29 Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that we are the divine being, that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of men. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, and this is this is for us, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because He has fixed a day on which He will judge. Now, the reason why it says now is because Christ was raised. Okay, before that time it was all these forecasts leading up to the coming of Christ, the suffering of Christ, the death of Christ, and the raising of Christ. All that preceded this. Now the book of Acts, this is an episode that happens thirty years after Jesus is raised. Now people knew that there was word of Christ's resurrection. So now it's, it's different now. Now that we know that Christ has been raised, you have to deal with the fact of it. He says, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And now notice what it says. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. What else do you need? He raised him from the dead. Now listen to what he says and believe on it. So for the believer, this gives you more encouragement. For the unbeliever, it challenges you. You must deal with the, re- the risen Christ. You cannot ignore it. You cannot afford to ignore it. You must deal with this. And notice the response. And you can kind of put yourself into the place of whoever here. Verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Notice they didn't mock about anything else he said. Why? Because they know that if this is true, if this Jesus is raised from the dead, we're going to have to listen to what he said. And that's where people, they really get uncomfortable. But that's okay. I hope you're uncomfortable. That's what we need. Or you're now confident in your new life's breathed into you. That this is true. You know this. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. There's some people interested now. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed among whom also were Dionysius, also a woman named Ameris, and others with them. So you see that this talk that Paul gives, he paints a biblical worldview, he anchors it in the reality, the confirming reality of the resurrection, and he challenges the listeners to hear, and there's a diversity of responses. And there may be a diversity of responses here. I'm guessing most are just overjoyed with this another display of the truth of Christ's resurrection whatever the case may be. May God be glorified as his people worship the risen Savior, believing fully that he lives, that He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And I want to close once again by reminding us all, as the question and answer says so wonderfully, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. Second, By his power, we too are already raised to a new life. And third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for the truth of your word, the vivid display of the message of the gospel, the finished work of Christ on our behalf, as confirmed by the resurrection of our Savior. Lord, receive all our praise and all our worship this day and forever. In Christ's name, amen. Let's respond by turning to 286. We'll sing the first three verses of Worship Christ the Risen King. Let's stand as the elders come to prepare the table for the Lord's Supper.